You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These things saith he that hath the seven spirits, capital S, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Uh, that's a, an awful way to be described as a church. I hope that's never the description that someone would say about Victory Baptist Church. I certainly hope that's never what God would say about this church. He's the one that knows, by the way. You don't fool God. Now, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. It says in verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect or complete before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, Jesus says to the church at Sardis. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. Hallelujah for that. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. What a, a commendation for a few. Not a lot. But there were a few in this church in Sardis that God says they are worthy and they shall walk with me. Verse 5, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Uh, that is also found in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus said that he would do that. Uh, those that confess him, Jesus says, I'll confess you before my father. But it goes on to say those that deny me, he said, I will deny you before my father also. Verse number six, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, give us what we need for this uh, time together. I pray that we would uh, not uh, think of this as ancient history, but I pray that we would think of this letter and think of this truth and this passage of Scripture as something that absolutely applies to this church for this hour and to this people, I pray that you'd help us to examine our hearts. And I pray that we would be what you'd have us to be. And may we learn from the example at the church in Sardis. In Jesus' name, amen. The light of the sun takes about eight minutes to reach earth. That is because although light travels faster than anything that we know of, light still takes time to travel. The sun is about 93 million miles away, so to say that that light travels from the sun to earth in eight minutes, that's pretty quick. The closest star other than the sun is four light years away. That's the closest star to the earth other than the sun, four light years away. The furthest star that we can see with our eyes from earth is 16,308 
light years away. Nothing travels faster than light. By the way, here's an example or here's a thought or an application. Did you know that God calls us, yes, to be a voice and, uh, and sound travels pretty fast too, not as fast as light, but God calls us to be not only a voice, but God calls us to be a light. We are the light of the world. We're to let our light so shine before men. And I'm thankful that we have the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. That's what we're shining and that's what we're sending forth and that's what we are communicating. But here's the thought I want to give you about these stars that are uh, thousands of light years away. John Phillips is a Bible commentator and he said this about this passage. He said, it's possible that a star that we can see with our naked eye, a star out in space, he said it's possible that that star could have plunged into darkness years ago and not even be existing now, but because of the amount of time it takes for that light to travel to us so that we could see it, he said that star could be long gone, but we could still be seeing the light from that star. That's an amazing thought. Here's the problem. That's how some churches operate. Some churches live in the light of the past. Some Christians live in the glory of the past. And what they don't realize is that they are either dead or quickly dying, but yet they're still experiencing some great things and some great blessings from the past. You see, this was true at the church at Sardis. God said, thou hast a name that thou livest. If you would have gone up and down the street and you said, what do you think about the church at Sardis? People would have said, there's a church that's alive. There's a church that's doing great. There's a church, boy, they got it together. But God says, your name, your reputation is that you are living. But God says, in reality, you're dead. Now, I want to say this. The church is made up of the people, right? So the, the church is not some mystical uh, 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 group or some mystical object that's somewhere out there that you can't put your finger on. No, we are the church. And the church is only going to be as spiritual as its members. The church is only going to be as real and authentic as its members, and as a church, it ought to be our desire tonight to say, we don't want to be a dead church. We don't want to be a church that just appears to be living on the outside. We don't want to be a church that's just living in the past or living on the reputation of, of mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or this person or that person. We want to be a church that is alive and well because we have a relationship with God and a relationship with the Word of God, and we are alive as, uh, as ourselves and not just as a name that we have associated with. The church at Sardis was dead, but here's what's so, so uh, wild to me, is how is it possible for a church to be dead when a church has the Holy Spirit? Notice what it says in verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. 
Now, again, we saw that in Revelation chapter 1. There's only one Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 makes that very clear. There's only one Holy Spirit. There is only one God, by the way. But this number 7, this shows us that the Holy Spirit is present in all of the churches. There are seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and the Holy Spirit was in every one of those churches. The number 7 is the number of completion. The number seven is the number of fullness. And when the Holy Spirit of God moves in, I want to tell you, you don't need more of the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit. You're okay. But can I tell you, as Brother Gary said, I think it was Sunday night, uh, we don't need more of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit needs to get more control of us. And we must yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. How can a church be dead that has the Holy Spirit? How can a church be dead that has the Bible? Well, I know the answer to that, and I think you do too. A church can be dead that has the Bible when all they do is leave it on the shelf. A Christian can be dead when all they do is swing by and pick it up on their way out the door on Sunday and tuck it under their arm. You see, now this Bible's powerful, but I'll tell you one thing. It doesn't get in you unless you read it. I know that's, I know that's earth-shattering. I know, I know for some of you, you're thinking, wow, our pastor, he is just so smart. He is brilliant. He probably spent all day thinking of that one thing. Friend, I want to tell you, you got to read it. If the Bible is going to change your life or my life, we got to get in it. And how can a church be dead when they have the Holy Spirit? How can a church be dead when they have the Bible? How about this? How can a church be dead when the church has access to the throne of God. We can come before God in his presence anytime we want. We have the power and the privilege of prayer. How can we be dead? I don't know how it's possible, but I know this. It happened to the church at Sardis. And I know that it can happen to us if we do not guard, as the Bible says, and strengthen the things that remain. Notice quickly, number one, as we look at this passage, I see the importance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has the uh, seven spirits of God, he says, and the seven stars. I believe those seven stars, those are the messengers to the churches. I believe those are the pastors of the churches. And Jesus has the Holy Spirit and he has the pastors of the church in his hand. And he said, well, how does Jesus have the Holy Spirit. I thought Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I thought they're both God. Well, they are both God. But you remember when Jesus was on the earth? Uh, you don't, you, I don't remember it either, but you remember reading when Jesus was on the earth? I want to clarify that. And you remember when Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send unto you a comforter. You see, the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible was always in subordination to Jesus. The Holy Spirit didn't try to take the spotlight. The Holy Spirit pointed people to Jesus. And remember throughout the Gospels where Jesus always said, he said, I am here to please my Father. I am here to do the will of my Father. And so we see in the Godhead, we see three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. They're all equal, but we see how that Jesus places himself under the authority of his Father. And the Holy Spirit places himself under the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son, to whom belongs all glory and all praise. And so Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Boy, I tell you, the Holy Spirit is amazing. In the book of Genesis, it was the breath of God. 
It was the Spirit of God that brought life to Adam. You know what Adam was before God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life? Adam was just a pile of dirt. He was just a pile of pile of clay. But can I tell you, when God breathes in, that's when things start happening. When the Holy Spirit of God gets in, that's when business picks up. Ezekiel 37, there was a valley. And the valley was full of bones. You remember that story. And the, uh, uh, the, the, the question was asked of Ezekiel, said, Ezekiel, what do you see? And Ezekiel said, I see bones and they're very dry. <laughs> he said, these bones, they're not just dry, they're very dry. These bones, these, these bones, these guys have been dead and gone a long time. And Ezekiel was asked, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, I believe that, that they can, but it wasn't until the breath of God came that those bones revived. And, and maybe tonight, maybe there's some, maybe you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, that kind of sums up my Christian life right now. I feel like my Christian life is dead. I feel like it's dry. I feel like it's a thing of the past. I feel like there's so many times that I, I think back about what I used to do for God or I think about the things that I did before, but I'm not doing those things now. And maybe you say, I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying. Well, good, I'm glad you're trying. But you and I are not gonna accomplish anything by just trying. We've gotta have the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to have the breath of God. In Ezekiel 37, we see it. In Acts chapter 2, the church was just getting started. But Jesus said, hey, you better wait for something. Before you get carried away, he said, you better wait for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And you remember in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit of God came down and descended on those believers there in that upper room. And can I tell you, they turned the world upside down because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit empowers the church, and that's why God has given us the Holy Spirit in our church. But something happened in Sardis. See, so what happened? Well, I think one thing is, it's found in Ephesians 4.30. The Bible says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we grieve the Holy Spirit. Sometimes uh, we, 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 uh, we are not yielded to the Holy Spirit and we are working against the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to do the work, but we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are not to quench the Holy Spirit. Our word quench would be like uh, the word we would use today to extinguish. If there were a fire in this building, we'd grab a fire extinguisher and we would spray that fire till it went out. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes that's what we do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to work. Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit gets hold of somebody's heart. And we go over to that person and we say, what's your problem? Why are you so excited about that? Why, why, are you so, why, why are you crying? Why are you so happy? You know, why, are you so, why are you so fired up? Can I tell you, you might as well just be pouring cold water on a fire. We don't need to quench the Spirit. We need to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, I'm going to get around that person. Maybe it'll rub off on me. Maybe I'll get some of that. I need it. But the church at Sardis, they had the Holy Spirit, but something happened. They had a name that they were alive and yet they were dead. I see number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, I want you to see the history. You see, the church at Sardis, they had a reputation. And by the way, I want to make it very clear that I think a reputation is important. 
I don't think you ought to ever act like, well, I don't care what anybody else thinks. You know, I'm just going to do whatever I want to because God knows my heart. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And he also knows that attitude, you know. And, that, and he's not the only one that knows. I think we all pick up on that. But I think it's important to have a good name. Proverbs 22, what does the Bible say? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You ought to have a good name at work. You ought to have a good name uh, in your neighborhood. Uh, your neighbor, your neighbor ought not think, what? You go to church? You're a Christian? I never in a million years would have guessed it. Wow. Your neighbor ought to know. My neighbors ought to know. And not just because we go to church, but they ought to know because of how we act and how we talk and how we live. They ought to see something different in us. But what we do, we ought to have a good reputation. We ought to have a good name. But I think we also need to remember that it's not about our name, but it's about his name. You see, sometimes, and maybe this is what happened with the church at Sardis. Maybe they started doing things and they said, what are people going to think? I wonder what people are going to say. Oh, we got to make this look good over here and, and we got to paint this and we got to fix this and we got to straighten this out. And they were maybe working so much on the outside so that they would have a good name, but they neglected the inside. They neglected what really mattered. They neglected the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. They had a reputation. The Bible tells us it's not about our name, but the Bible says in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus someday, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I see their reputation. Secondly, underneath their history, I see their record. The record was that although their name tag said living, the reality was they were dead. Did you know that I can wear any name tag I want to? I could, I could wear a name tag from Chick-fil-A. And I could be, uh, I guess all the teens are out, so I can't use one of their names. Uh, but I could use one of our teens, and I could put that name tag on, and I could show up at Chick-fil-A and say, here I am, you know. Well, that doesn't mean that's who I am. And it really doesn't matter. The name tag you stick on the outside. Because God's not looking for a name tag to find out who you are. God sees the heart. God knows who we are. God knows our thoughts. God knows our motives. God knows our feelings. God knows what's really going on inside. And you say, I know God knows. I just wish everybody else knew. I understand that. I understand that. But I know this. If you and I will strive to please the Lord, the Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. If you'll just make sure your relationship is right with the Lord, if your relationship is right vertically, God's going to help you to take care of the horizontal relationships with one another. We see their record. Next, we see their ruin. How do you go from living to dead in the Christian life? How do you keep the outside looking so good when the inside is a mess? Warren Wiersbe is a Bible commentator, and he said this, They gloried in past splendor, but meanwhile they ignored the present decay. They, they were so enamored with their past. They were so enamored with their accomplishments that they allowed 
the decay that was going on to be completely ignored. They didn't deal with it. And that's how God could say, you have a name that you're living, but in reality, you're dead. I see next the things that remain. Jesus said to this church, he said, strengthen the things which remain. The word strengthen, it means to establish. It means to make stable. It means to set something fast. There were some things in the church at Sardis that had not completely died. Now, they were close. Uh, they, were, they were getting ready to die. We see that in the next, uh, next part of the verse. They were so close to dying, but they hadn't died yet. And Jesus said, strengthen those things. Let me ask you tonight, what are some things in your life that they're not dead, they're still alive, but they're just barely hanging on? Maybe for some in this room, and I know it's Wednesday night, this is the cream of the crop. Uh, when you come to church on Wednesday night, I believe it's because you love the Lord. You've already been here Sunday morning and Sunday night, and you come back Wednesday night. But what is it in your life that is just barely hanging on? What's something that is remaining and it is still there, but it needs to be strengthened? Maybe for some, maybe it is your Bible reading. Uh, and can I tell you, you're not going to make it in the Christian life unless you have a daily walk with God in the Bible and in prayer. You say, well, let me tell you, I've read that book before and I've been there and I've done that. Well, you're exactly right. And you may be like the church at Sardis. You may have a name that you're living. But in reality, in your heart, you're dead. And it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time until it's revealed. It's only a matter of time that you can try to fake it or you can try to uh, uh, operate in the power of the flesh without the Holy Spirit. But what are some things? Maybe it's church attendance. And again, I know you're here tonight. You say, well, pastor, certainly not us. Well, can I tell you, anybody that stops going to church, it starts somewhere. That you'd have to say there was a time when it was hanging on, it was getting close, but maybe tonight that's something you need to strengthen. You need to say, with God's help, by God's grace, I'm going to determine tonight, I'm going to stay faithful to church. Maybe it's a ministry. Uh, maybe it's soul winning. Uh, maybe it's giving. Maybe it's tithing. Uh, maybe, maybe through COVID or whatever. Maybe you got out of the habit of some things. And tonight you need to say, this is, this is struggling. This is dying in my life. I need to strengthen this. Maybe it's a marriage. Uh, maybe it, work has taken over and maybe uh, hobbies and all the other things, and all the business of life and the pressures have taken over. Maybe you need to strengthen that marriage tonight. Uh, maybe it's a relationship with your children or, or a relationship with a, 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 a co-worker or a relationship with a dear friend that you used to serve God with and maybe you've kind of gotten out of it and you need to get back in. I don't know what it is, but strengthen the things that remain. That's what Jesus admonished the church to do. Then it says this in verse number, uh, uh, verse number uh, two, be watchful, strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. That word ready, it means to be at the point of dying. You see, something that is about to die, and I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm not trying to be morbid, but if something is at the point of death, you can't be lackadaisical with that. Can you imagine someone going into the ER and they are literally, they're at the point of death and the nurses and the doctors say, yeah, maybe, maybe in a few hours we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that patient. No, you got to jump in. 
It's emergency. It, it is time is of the essence. You got to do something now. Can I tell you, if you've got some things in your life that are ready to die, they're at that, they're so close. They're just, it's just a matter of, 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 of minutes or hours or days or whatever. Do something now. Don't put it off. Don't say, well, maybe next week I'll, 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 I'll look at that. You know, I know my marriage, I know it's struggling, I know it's falling apart, but, you know, I'll, I'll deal with that later. No, 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 no. You got to do it now. The things that are ready to die, God says you've got to be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. There was a little girl who was required to take her birth certificate to school, and as she was on her way to school, uh, she lost her birth certificate, and as she got into school, she was crying. The janitor, he found her and saw her, and he said, little girl, he said, what, what's the problem? Let me see what I can help you with. And of course, the little girl, she didn't quite understand all that was involved in all of that, but she uh, exclaimed to the janitor, she said, sir, she said, I'm in big trouble. She said, I was supposed to bring something today, she said, but I've lost my excuse for being born. Well, obviously, that's not the way it is. But can I tell you this evening, some Christians have lost their reason for living. Some Christians have gotten away from their purpose. And, and, and you used to, and I used to, and maybe there's things that you say, hey, this was a part of my life, and this was a big part of my life, and this was important, and this used to be. But can I tell you, it's time to strengthen those things and get back to where we need to be. Dr. Vance Havner described ministries. He said ministries go through four stages, just about without fail. Ministries start with a man, and many times you'll see that. Maybe a man goes to an area, and there's no, nothing there, and he'll start a church. And then that may become a movement. Maybe that church then starts other churches, and those churches start other churches, and, and God's doing a great work, and, and there's a moving in, in that ministry. But a uh, Ministry that started with a man and goes to a movement, sometimes it becomes a machine. You know what happens with a machine? There's no heart. There's no passion. There's no fire. There's, there's, no, there's no zeal. It's just going through the motions. And by the way, let's be honest. Sometimes that's the way the Christian life is. We're just going through the motions. We sing the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, and we think, I don't even know when the last time was I prayed 10 minutes. We, 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 sing, uh, we sing the song, I'm going to follow Jesus. And you haven't even thought about what Jesus was trying to do and how he was trying to lead in a long time. The ministry goes from a man to a movement to a machine, and then eventually it becomes a monument. There's nothing there except what used to be. And that's where the church in Sardis is. They have become a monument. They have a name that they are living, but God says they are dead. Number one, we see in this passage, the Holy Spirit. Number two, I want you to see the history. Number three, I want you to see the help that was needed. The Bible says in verse number two that this church was to be watchful. That word watchful, it means to stay awake. It means to be vigilant. But then it says not only that, it says in verse number uh, three, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. and Thou shalt not know what hour 
I will come upon thee. We see that for the church, we're not talking about these people losing their salvation. We're not talking about God saying, I'm going to come and I'm going I'm to take away your eternal. No, 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 no. But here's what God's saying. God's saying, if you don't wake up and if you don't get some things right, God says judgment will come. Remember, we talked about this. Uh, I forget which service now it was, but we talked about how that sometimes we mistake God's goodness and God's long-suffering for the, for the fact that God doesn't know or God's not going to judge sin. Well, God always judges sin. But judgment doesn't always come when you expect it or when I expect it. Judgment comes when God says it's time. And this church was warned that if they did not get things right, judgment would come. And they would not have an appointment for it. They wouldn't get a little reminder card like your judgment will come next Tuesday at 10 o'clock. But God said, you, you better get right because judgment is coming. And then I see number four, I see the command to hold fast. Verse number three, God says, and hold fast and repent. Notice verse number three, the first word is the word remember. How does a church that is, is dying or a church that is dead, how does a church get back to life? Well, I think you got to go back and remember how it all started. And you know how it all started for me? It all started the day I got saved. You know how it started for you? It started the day you got saved. Because before you got saved, you didn't even know God existed. Or if you did, you didn't really care a whole lot. You certainly didn't have a relationship with him. Before you got saved, what we're doing tonight, you would have thought those people are nuts. Those could, people could be home. They could be home watching Andy Griffith or leave it to Beaver, you know, or they could be home. They could be home relaxing. You could be out partying. You could be doing all, all kinds of great things. Before you got saved, you would have thought this was crazy. But now that you're saved, you say, praise God, I'm glad I'm not doing the things I used to do. I'm glad my priorities got rearranged. But you got to remember how it all started. Remember, and remember how you got saved. Remember where you were when God found you. Remember the difference that Jesus made in your life and in your family. And remember where you used to be and think about where you are now. I'll close with this. I got a lot more I'd like to say about this church and we'll do it another night. But you've heard the story, I believe, at least I think you've heard some of the story of John Newton. I mentioned it on the radio today at lunchtime. But John Newton is the man who wrote the, the great hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. But John Newton's life was a life that was a wreck. He was a slave trader. He would gather up the slaves and he would go and put them on a ship and he would take them and he would sell those human beings as slaves. John Newton cared nothing about God. He had people back home that were praying for him and people that were calling upon God to save his soul. And John Newton, he said this after he got saved. He said, I, I look back. He said, there were three times where he said, I know God spoke to me. And he said, all three of those times, he said, I put it out of my mind and I forgot all about it. So after he got saved and praise God, he got saved. By the way, when he, before he got saved, he had gone so low. He wasn't the slave trader. 
He had become the slave of a slave. That's how low it went for John Newton. And by the way, before you and I got saved, we were low. We were lost and we were undone and we were without hope and we were without a future and we didn't have anything to look forward to. We didn't have any hope of anything good before we got saved. But John Newton got saved, became a preacher of the gospel. He wrote that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. T'was blind, but now I see. And John Newton in his office, his study where he, he studied the Word of God, where he prayed, he put up a plaque as a reminder. And that plaque was a verse, I said on the radio Exodus, but it was Deuteronomy. But he put up on the plaque, he put up a reminder, a verse in Deuteronomy where it says this, Remember that thou wast a bondservant in the land of Egypt until thy God redeemed thee. And he saw that and he said, that's what helped me to remember what God had done in my life. Friend, don't ever forget what God's done in your life. Don't ever forget the day God saved you. God saved me. We were slaves to sin. We were not running the show. We were in bondage and we were in chains until God came. And praise God. He set us free. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.